Well, hey, we're in a brand new series kicking off today called One of, uh, One of a Kind. We're in a series called One of a Kind, and we're going to carry it for a little bit. But I truly do believe if we can catch this concept of how much God values us, yeah. how much heaven values your purpose here on earth. You know, culture wants to kind of get you to just sell life as like you just got to get through it, right? Got to get to the Friday, then Friday's Miller time. You know, you just got to get through the week. But but God has great purpose, great design, great intention for our time here. You've heard me say before, Scripture says life is but a vapor. But the Scripture also says that we give an account for everything that we do, every minute that we spend. Why? Because God's like, I've, I've set you up in this place with great purpose and great design. Amen? And so before we jump into it, uh, I want to pray. And I'm telling you, this, this sermon is a note-taking sermon. You're going to have to kind of buckle up and follow along and write the best that you can. Uh, but got a lot of things for you to write down because you're four times more likely to remember what God is speaking if we write it down. So be ready to write it down. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today and all the ways that you've already ministered and, and loved on us and shown yourself to us uh, in this service. God, I pray that you continue to speak to us, encourage us, even change us in the ways that we need change. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We say this statement all the time. I think it was actually Pastor Rick Warren, Warren in his Purpose Driven Life book. Uh, he made this statement that uh, we were created on purpose for a purpose. Everybody's here with great purpose. This room is full of great purpose. God intentionally and fearfully and wonderfully made us. So much so that there literally was a time, if you think about this, when the scripture says that, that God predestined you to walk in good works. He's got a plan for you, each and every one of us. It's like, it's like heaven had an assembly line and they're, they're putting all the different things together and God the creator is making heaven and earth and all these different things. But there, that means a time came when God, our Father, the Creator, was like, okay, you, right here, and I'm going to create you and form you and fearfully and wonderfully make you, and I'm going to put a great destiny on your life. That's what God did for each and every one of us. He's got great purpose and great plans, which leads me to say that means your life has great value. It has tremendous value. Your time here on earth has great value. I begin to think about what are the ways that we can tell something has great worth or has great value. One of the ways that you can tell is first by what is someone willing to pay for it in real estate. It's like, hey, what is this house worth? Well, it depends what somebody's willing to pay for it. If someone's going to pay that much for it, that's how much it's worth. Maybe it's like an old car, an antique car, a vintage car. You say, how much is this car worth? Well, it just matters how much somebody is willing to pay for it. Can I tell you something? Jesus paid it all for you. He paid the greatest price for your life and for your purpose and for your calling and assignment and destiny. Why? Because you're one of a kind. You have great value to him. Many of you have heard me say this before, but uh, the, the odds, the probability, the things that had to go right for you to make it here on earth is this. 130 octillion things from conception to birth all had to go perfectly in order in order for you to make it here. That's 130 with 27 zeros behind it. All had to go perfectly in place for you to get here. Can I tell you something? You're not here by accident. Somebody wanted to make sure you made it today. Somebody wanted to make sure you lived in this hour because God has a purpose for you today. And so we can tell that we have great worth because Jesus paid it all for us. And he, along the way, was making sure that we got here because we have high value. Another way that you can tell that something uh, has a lot of value is how rare is it? I've been telling you that uh, my son is into uh, trading cards. He's been opening football cards and 
one of the ways that you can tell cards are really valuable is based on how many of them are made. And so like if you open a pack, the really special, expensive, rare ones, you'll open, you'll go through them. And if there's one that says like this card is one of 50, my son's like, oh, I got a one of 50. There's only 50 of these in all the world. Why? Because it's rare and rarity has high value. You know, things that are rare have high value, you know, diamonds, all these things. That's how they're determined. Well, can I tell you something? There's only one of you. If we ever opened a pack of cards and got a one of one, we would be running through the streets that were rich. But you're a one of one. Do you know that uh, there's about 7.8 billion, almost 8 billion people currently in the world. Today, there'll be about 133,000 born uh, in America. There'll be about 400,000 born uh, across the world today. Since the beginning of time, there's almost about 118 billion people have lived on this planet, and nobody has ever and will ever have your thumbprint. You're a one of one. You have great high value. Now, i got to make this joke every time I preach this sermon. Everybody hold up your thumb. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a thumb buddy. You're a thumb buddy. You're special. It's good. Works every time. Point number three is this. This is how you find value. Another way that you can determine what has high value is this. Who was its owner? Who is its owner? You know, I could wear, I could buy myself a pair of Air Jordans. Uh, I'm not into the greatest, the second greatest basketball player of all time, so I don't have any Jordans. But uh, I don't have Jordans. Now, if I had a pair of Air Jordans and I put those on eBay, they would sell for just what regular Air Jordans are worth. If Michael Jordan took a pair of his own Air Jordans that he wore in a basketball, maybe a playoff or an NBA Finals game, and placed those on eBay, how many know they would sell a lot more money? Why? Because the value comes from who owns them. Mm-hmm. Do you know the scripture teaches us that we're all the children of God? Right. We're the creation of God. How much value do you have because of the creator of whose we are? Can I get an amen today? Yeah. I'll ask the helper to come up here. Kylie, come on up here and help me. Give it up for Kylie. Come on up here. She's going to help me out. I got to say something really cool about her. Do you know that last week she led, was a part of leading one of our first ever youth worship bands? Come on, everybody, give it up for her. It's a big deal. Hey, do you like money? Okay, all right, good. So I got $100 right here, and it's real. Okay, it's $100, and um, I just, it's 100 bucks, and, and I want to give this to you, but I have a couple questions for you. It's, worth, it's $100, it's real, and it has value, and, uh, but I've, if I, was, I was wondering, would because you said you want it, right? Yeah. And you know, money, <laughs> she's not sure where this is going. You know, money gets exchanged. It, you know, some person might use their money at Pizza Hut and then it makes its way somewhere else and then it makes its way all around and then comes back to us. But it goes through a lot of different places, but it's $100. And so if I were to ask you like, hey, um, if you found out that maybe somebody used this money to bribe somebody and they paid them $100 to do the bribe, but then it made its way to the gas station all the way back around to me, like, would you still want the 100 bucks? Yeah. yeah, of course you would. Of course you would. Or what if maybe somebody used this 100 bucks and you weren't a part of it? I wasn't a part of it. But, but maybe it made its way through, uh, paid somebody to beat somebody up, and they used this $100. But then it went around through Burger King and all the different things came away back to us. Would you still want this $100? Of course you would. So here's your $100. I'm going to give you the $100. All right, give it up for college. You can go be seated. You can keep that. Don't let Caroline steal it either. Caroline's good at stealing money. That's what she does. I'm serious. That little preacher's kids, they, you know, I'll sell a dirt bike or I'll sell a golf cart or something that I do. I got a little marketplace hustle that I do. Uh, and, and then I'll come in and she'll say, Dad, do you want me to count that for you? And I say, no, you're just like your mother. You're not touching my money. 
But can I tell you something about this? This why, why does she still want the hundred dollars? Well, but it, you know, the hundred dollars it has a bad past. It had some bad experiences. It it went through some things. It did some shady stuff. It had some bad things happen to it. But we still want the hundred dollars. You know why? Because it's not where it's been or what it's gone through that determines its values. It's what the Creator says about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Says that it has. And so I don't care where you yeah. came from or what you've been through or some of the experiences you had. Your God, your Creator, yeah. says that you still hold high value. Amen. And it's time that the church and the believers begin walking and understanding that you're a one of a kind and God has high value on our life. Are you with me today? Yeah. I looked all throughout Scripture and we see words of high value spoken over our lives over our destinies, over our purposes, over how God wants to use us. He uses words all throughout scripture like you've been created. That's on purpose. That's intentional. That's for reason. We see that God says you're called. You're called. You've been called. Scripture uses words like you've been crafted. You've been commissioned. God has great purpose for us. We see the Bible describes us as people who are important, valuable, that God, scripture calls us that we're salt, we're light, we're peculiar, we're special. The scripture says we're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. The scripture says that we're the head and not the tail. The scripture says we're selected, we're predestined, we're above, not beneath. We're beloved, we're anointed, we're appointed, we're blessed, not cursed. We're the head and not the tail. How many of you know God has high value on his children? Yeah. And so we got to see ourselves that way. We got to see ourselves as people that has placed great value. The Bible is a book from the beginning to the end that continues to speak and tell us who we are, which is people of high value. God is telling us who we are, telling us who we are. Genesis to Revelation, God is constantly telling his people who they are, who they are, who he's made them to be, who they are, who he's made them to be. I wrote it down like this. The actions of God are always intentional. Whenever God does something, it's because... He's doing something. Everything God does is intentional. So when he's speaking who you are and who you are, and the whole book is full of God saying to his people who they are, that's not by accident. That's not small talk. He's not just looking for things to say. It's done by pure intention for get us, to get us to understand what God thinks and how he values us. Amen. We sometimes do things for no reason. Have you ever just been like, all of a sudden got out of your stoop and you're like, what did I do with the last 20 minutes? Facebook, something like that. You just, uh, but God, every single time he does something, he does it with reason. I wrote it down even like this. Whenever God does nothing, it's because he's doing something. Even when we feel like God's doing nothing, I promise you he's still doing something. Everything God does, he does with great intention. So I'm saying it's important for us to be thankful when God's doing something and we give him praise and we give him shout and we're thankful when he's doing something. But we also got to be the people when we feel like God's doing nothing that we still give him thanks and praise because he's still doing something. Everything God does is with great intention. So if all throughout his word, he's speaking who you are, who you are, who you are, then how many know it's important for us to understand and believe who God thinks we are? That's why the scripture says we need the mind of Christ, the thought life of God over ourselves so we can walk in the purposes that he has for us. I begin to think about that's why there are so many, that's why the enemy works so hard to keep noise in our life. I remember back in the day before music was in every restaurant, they didn't play music over the speaker and you'd go into a restaurant and, and there'd be no music playing. You know, back, this is 15, 20 years ago. The only thing you'd hear in the restaurant was people smoking. <laughs> it's full of 
sort of like worship. And, uh, and just people smoking. Not, and, and, you, and, you, and then music came out. You, some restaurants started playing like house music when you went to the restaurant. And people would say, oh, we don't want to go over to that restaurant. They blast that music. It's so loud and crazy over there. Now when you go to a restaurant and they're not playing music, you're like, is this place even open? <laughs> is this, this is creepy. They're not playing. And you, you walk through the mall and you walk through town and you see so many people with the earbuds jammed in in everything they're doing. They're going through grocery stores. And I'm not against any of that kind of stuff. And I know people are listening to podcasts and things like that. But if the enemy can keep us blasted with the sounds and the chaos of things of life, maybe we can't spend as much time hearing and reminding ourselves the things that God says over with us. He's trying to keep noise. He's trying to keep noise. So many times throughout scripture, God was speaking how he values and how he, how he feels about his people, even when they didn't feel that way. You guys remember Gideon? He's in the cave. He's hiding out, feeling like a loser, feeling like a reject. He's hiding in this cave. And God shows up and says what he thinks about Gideon over Gideon. He says, hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, you my warrior. And Gideon's like, me, I'm hiding. <laughs> And God's like, no, I need you to know and see and understand the way I feel about you. That's why Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. We've got to get God's thoughts into our hearts. We've got to get God's thoughts into our life so we can be the thoughts that God has for us. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. You will always behave, write this down. You will always behave in a way that is consistent with the way you see yourself. Well, I can't make much of a difference. You know, I'm just not like everybody else who can go do these things. And I didn't come from the right upbringing and I didn't go to Christian school and I don't have the perfect background. So I can't make that much of a difference. If we think that way, if it's that way in our heart, then I believe that's how you'll be. Well, you know me, God can't use me. I can't walk in my purposes because I'm the one who messes everything up. I'm the family mess up. I mess everything up. There's no way that God could use me. And as you think it in your heart, so you'll be. But me, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. That was Gideon. He's hiding in the cave. And he said, "Um, God, uh, you called me a warrior, but you don't understand. Not only am I the least in my family, my family's the least of all the tribes. So he saw himself as like, I don't measure up. And God was like, no, I want you to hear what I say over you. And it's that you're a warrior. The reason God wants to constantly tell us what he thinks about us is because he wants what he says about us to override what we think about ourselves. That's why the scripture says daily you should be meditating, meditating on God's word, reminding yourself what what you say. You want to know what that word meditate means? The word meditate is like a cow. Peasley's are like this. It's like a cow that chews its cud. Just constantly turning it over, turning it over, turning it over. That's what it say, meditate. So you take God's word the way that he thinks about you, and you just keep chewing on it, chewing on it, chewing on it. How you know what I'm talking about? Like I said, we gotta, we got to live that way in our minds. I believe this. As a result of doing that, our behavior will line up with the way God sees us. This is so important. Listen to this part. When the enemy can't change what we think about God... His next attempt is to get us to change what we think about ourselves. We're all set on who God is and we believe what he can do. But then just like Gideon, God calls us into something. We say, hold on a second, God. I know that you're that, but I'm not that. So the enemy says, hey, how about you just, I know you're set on God like that, but if I can get you to believe else, I'll take you out. Are you with me? 
And people do this all the time. I see it all the time. God, God calls people and, he, and they get saved and they get set free from things. And then because of their low self-thought or their low self-esteem or, 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 or just they get into this inadequate place in their mind and they think, okay, God saved me, sent me free, but that's, that's where I'm going to stop. I'm not worthy of anything else. God can't use me and develop me and move me forward. Or they get into a business and they go, look, uh, I, I'm happy to have this job, but there's no way God wants to grow me in my business because my family never did anything. They never grew in the marketplace. And so I, I'm just going to be limited to this. And they limit themselves based on their thinking. Or some parent goes, man, I just, God can't fix this with my kids. I'm just not good enough. I messed up too much. I screwed up my kids. I messed up my family. I wasn't there for them. I got too busy. I didn't pay attention. I didn't see the signs. I didn't. So you allow these thoughts of like, I'm not going to be able to get this back on track because of these things. This so is the enemy. You believe in God. You believe in God and, and what he is, but you don't believe about yourself that God can use you and yeah. redeem it. Are you with me? Yeah. Same thing in our marriages. We say, oh, this marriage has gone cold. It's gone too rigid. It's too far. I, there's nothing that I can do to fix this. I, I believe God can do this and God, but I can't do any of that. And we limit ourselves to seeing God's power in our life. Are you with me today? How far I go and how far I grow isn't just determined by what I believe about God. It's equally impacted by what I believe about me. How we see ourselves. This is an interesting scripture. They don't preach very much. I didn't give it to the team or put it in my notes or say it in first service. But it's an interesting passage when they say, hey, what's the greatest command? It says, love your neighbor as you love your... Whoa. So I, I, I got to find out some things about who I am and what God says about me if I'm going to love my neighbor properly. Yeah, good. And so there's sort of this thing that happened in church where, where we, we, we put this low self-esteem as actually like some elevated spiritual gift. Well, I'm a nobody. I'm just the slum of the earth and grateful to be alive today by God's grace. And he... No, no, no. We're a royal priesthood. We're the head and not the tail. Are you with me? And so, and so to love our neighbor, we've got to know something about loving ourselves. Are you with me today? So the enemy, think about this. The enemy isn't just at work creating attitudes of arrogance in pride. We know that. Scripture says, you know, that, that you'll have a fall. Pride, pride comes before a fall. So he works at getting people elevated and haughty and prideful because there's going to be a fall. But I believe he also takes people out when we walk around with too much. Oh, I'm nothing. Are you with me today? Yeah. The enemy is at work creating attitudes, I believe, of inadequacy. Yeah. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. But heaven from cover to cover continues to speak over your life. You're rare. You have value. You have purpose. I have plans for you. And we need to walk in that. Why? Because God's created you one of a kind. Amen. The same enemy that wants to think, gets us to think too highly of ourselves is the same enemy that wants us thinking too low of ourselves. Numbers chapter 13, I'm going to give you a verse here. Uh, we know that God called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, the children of Israel. They're on their way. They're going to the promised land. God shows up and says, hey, Moses, I've chosen you. You're going to go set my people free. And when you do that, you're going to be leading them to this promised land. It's a, it's this land that's rich agriculturally. So it's flowing with milk and honey. It's got all this promise. You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing when you get there. That's the land that I have for you. But God did what he usually does to us. He left out a few details. <laughs> he left out a few things on the way. And so we're going to pick up on this. Moses sends some, some people to go check out this land that God promised. And we see it in verse 31. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. There was giants in the land. Uh, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among themselves, uh, each other, the bad report 
that the land of the land that they've explored. The land we explored, listen to this, devours those who are in it. Talk about exaggeration. It's like when we get in a bad mood, all oh, that land over there devours people. Right? That's how we exaggerate. Devours people. Then it says this, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They didn't occupy the promised land, not because of the giants in the land, but it was because of the grasshopper mentality in their minds. God called them. He equipped them. He sent them. But when they saw the giants, they said, we're not able. We're not capable. We're just grasshoppers. Wasn't the giant thing that was a problem. It was the grasshopper mindset that they let themselves in. You can measure the size of your sense of self or confidence in what God says about you by the size of the obstacle it takes to discourage you. So many times God's called us and promised us and commissioned us and sent us. And then that first little roadblock, we go, wow, this tiny little thing. You know, I hate this, but do you know the number one word used with faith in scripture? The number one word that goes with that linked together is patience. Faith and patience, endurance, endurance. Scripture says that it's through faith and, pa- and patience we endure the, or we, we get the promise. We have to keep staying at it, stay at it, no matter what it looks like. They did not step in, not because they saw God wrong, but because they didn't see themselves right. This isn't a little self-help speech where it's like, you're amazing and you're beautiful and you're going to win today. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do today. But what I'm trying to say is you have heaven's affirmation. You have heaven's go get them. Are you with me today? That's why the scripture is trying to get you to understand greater is he that is in you than anything you're going to come against in the world. Are you with me? There's so many different examples of this in scripture where God calls somebody to do something great and then they bring up their inadequacy to God. Like, oh God, I don't know if you didn't notice this, but I have this. I thought about Moses, as I just mentioned. He gets the great and mighty call. Moses, go set my people free. We're talking about the guy who parted the Red Sea. They're like, I'm going to call you to set my people free, and I'm going to part the Red Sea. And then they'll make terrible movies about you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Moses, you know what Moses says back? God calls him. He doesn't have any, he's not like doubting God and who God is. But he says, hold on a second, God. He says, uh, you, you, you messed up here. Like I, Moses says, I can't even talk right. You got the wrong guy. I'm too inadequate here. He says, I got this speech thing here. And he literally says back to God, choose anybody but me. So much self-doubt and low self-esteem and inadequacy in his life. Jeremiah. Scripture says this about Jeremiah. The scripture says, God says, you got promise. You have all this that I want to do in your life. And Jeremiah goes, "Um, I have an inadequacy here, God. You don't understand. I'm just a youth. I don't have any experience. He's trying to play back his inadequacy, which, of course, God already knows. Of course, we know Sarah. Scripture comes as like, hey, you're going to have a child and generations and Abraham and all this stuff is going to. And they're like, "Um, God, I'm 90. (laughs) Not sure if you've been paying attention. It's this inadequacy that they put up. I thought about even Gideon, as I just mentioned. Hey, I'm the least. I'm the least of all of these. This inadequacy that put up. And God says, no, no, but I have a purpose because you have value because you're one of a kind. And I want to see you through in this. Amen. I'll close with this. I believe generations of people can be changed if we can just say, God, I I got these things in my life and you know what they are, but I trust you. They thought 
their differences or their deficiencies disqualified them. But I would argue that their differences and their deficiencies were actually the thing that enabled them. God says, I fearfully and wonderfully made you. I've made you unique. You have a uniqueness about your story. You say, no, this is a deficiency. How can God ever use this? What can he do in this? I'm left like this. I have this. This is against me and that is against me in my past. And this person walked out on me and this thing, this is a deficiency. And God says, no, now in my hands, it's a uniqueness that I can use to, are you with me? Many times our deficiency actually becomes the thing that escorts us into our destinies, our purposes, our impacts. The thing that you think may make you weird or different or awkward is often the thing that makes you effective in certain circles. Think about David, David, the shepherd boy. He's just up there taking care of the animals. Everybody else gets to go down and be a part of the armies and be a part of the things. He's just up there with this slingshot, which is of his time, a little BB gun, little BB gun boy. It's his deficiency, right? His little BB gun boy. And so he goes into town and they're going, David, you still got that slingshot? Where's your sword, bro? Like, come on, go in the sword store and go get yourself a sword, dude. Get rid of that thing already. But what people called the deficiency in his life actually was the thing that accomplished his destiny in life. It's because we say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. God, I don't know why I'm still in a slingshot situation where I seem disadvantaged to everybody else. And God says, ah, but you know what I say about you? You're more than a conqueror. Greater thing. Are you with me today? And I don't always understand why it works the way that it works. These same children of Israel, and this is my last thought, but the children of Israel, they kind of give us the perfect picture of trying to figure out, like, God, we feel inadequate here, but we believe that you're working, but we feel inadequate, but we believe that you're working. When manna was sent to the children of Israel, of course, they're trying to go to the promised land and they're in wilderness experiences. And the scripture says that they were sent manna, which is provision. It's the hand of God in their life. But the manna, we all think that Panera bread just fell from the sky. These perfectly hot loaves. And everyone's like, this is amazing. Can I get some broccoli cheddar? You know, like (laughs) it wasn't that. It was actually like a white grainy substance that they had to put together to make bread and to make their meal and to put together uh, what they had. And I love the confusion. God is moving and we know that he's called us but we're not quite sure how he's doing it right now. We feel a little bit inadequate, but we're still going to trust him because we know he's got a great promise and a great plan. Even the word manna, this is what manna means. The word manna means, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) Or you could say it like this, like manna is sent to them and they're like, what is that? (laughs) Manna, like, I imagine one of them was Southern and that's how it got its name because it just fell and one guy was like, Man, uh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kyla. That was, did I embarrass you, Caroline? I thought it was a good joke. <laughs> Kyla likes it, so we're good. Like, man, uh, what is, that's how it got its name. You all want me to make a Virginia joke right now. See, see, they do, but I'm not, I wouldn't, that, that would be out of line, and it's, it's like, 
everybody's like, everybody, <laughs> everybody's like, I bet Jess is so happy that Cody moved here because now I make fun of Cody in Virginia. And that was exactly what happened. I was like, we need to hire someone from the South so my jokes can go <laughs> whole new category. But here's the real deal. Here's the real deal. They're in the season. God, we trust you called us. You got a purpose. You got a plan. We know that you value us. You see us as important. You told us that we're your children and that we're your people. We got all this kind of stuff. But we're just in this season right now where we're like, what is it? I feel inadequate. I don't know how this is going to come together. I know that you're working. I know that you're moving. I know that you provided. I can't see every single step, but you're doing it. You're doing it. And so I'm saying in those moments where you're still going, God, I don't understand it. What is this? What is this? It's not the time to self-doubt. It's not the time to self-destruct. It's not the time to get off the path or get off the road. It's the time to just say, God, I'm trusting. And you start forming. You start putting together what you have. So they did. They started to put it together. They started trusting God. And they put it together, put it together. And then it became the provision and the purpose and the plan. And they said, okay, now I see so we have to do like what the scripture says, even when we say, what is this season? God, I don't, we don't self-doubt. We don't wonder if God left us. Instead, we trust that he has high value, that we're one of a kind, and he's got a great plan, and he's got a great purpose, and we will see it come to completion. Are you with me? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. I, I lift up every person in this room and every person listening online, however and wherever and whenever they may be listening. And God, I just pray over their hearts and minds. Everyone in the room and everyone listening, I pray over their hearts and minds. God, that you would help us see ourselves the way you see us. Of high value, of great purpose, of great destiny. God, I pray that you help us hide your word, your truths in our heart. So that we can live the way that you've called us to. So that we can bring you glory. God, I pray that, that, that any... Any work of the enemy that's trying to set itself up against anybody in the realm of their mind, self-doubt, low self-esteem, feelings of inadequacy, God, we bind those. We break those off everybody's life who's listening. God, help us to see the way that you've called us to live. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.